Welcome, everybody. We are getting underway with our next web clinic here this afternoon. Thank you very much for joining us. Today's topic is Beyond Landing Pages, Conversion Rate Optimization Strategies. And um, we have uh, several presenters from the Marketing Experiments team on the line. My name is Hunter Boyle, Content Director for Marketing Experiments. We have, have Boris Grinko, our Senior Research Analyst, uh, Adam Lapp, another Senior Research Analyst, uh, we also have some other team members on the line here today. So what we're going to cover is um, something that we've gotten a lot of feedback on from our courses and our workshops that deal with the conversion sequence, the marketing experiments conversion sequence. And as we move into the agenda for today's presentation, I just want to tell you a little bit about how this clinic topic came together. We uh, we have heard several times during the course of our workshops and our web clinics uh, questions such as, uh, I kind of get this, I see how it applies to landing pages, but I'm not sure how it would apply to, say, a shopping cart page, or how does this apply to email, or how might this work uh, in this situation or that situation. And um, a lot of people also have kind of gone the other way where they say, well, we see how this applies, but we don't really do landing pages per se. You know, we'd like to try and optimize our site, but we don't really do landing pages here. And those two ideas sort of came together for us, and, and we thought it would be instructive to put together a clinic that helps show people how the conversion sequence uh, not only applies to landing pages, but the principles that are covered in the sequence really do apply to all of these other areas. So as part of that, what we're going to do today uh, with Boris and Andy leading us through some case studies and some examples is we're going to look at some of the common misperceptions about landing pages and about the optimization techniques that we use for them and beyond them. Uh, we'll look at a couple of experiments that show how the conversion sequence has been applied in ways that uh, don't directly or you might not directly consider applications with landing pages. And then we'll look at a couple of real examples that show these principles for e-commerce shopping carts, emails, PPC copy. A lot of people have asked us for, you know, examples of pages that do things right. So we'll look at some pages that maybe don't do things right and maybe some that kind of uh, use some of the principles that we talk about in the sequence. Let's move ahead briefly. As I mentioned, the two misconceptions that we'll talk about a little bit here, and I'll turn this over to Boris in just a second. Uh, number one, that landing pages really are kind of the stereotypical long scrolling five different screens with a whole lot of uh, different checkboxes and uh, font styles. Uh, the things that we've all seen, you know, with kind of this and that uh, thrown at the page uh, and that are completely detached from your website, just some of those standalone landing pages that maybe have a less than glamorous reputation. And misconception number two, which is that there are just a handful of principles for landing page optimization, but that they're really focused on, say, those types of pages. So these are two of the big keys that uh, Boris and Adam are going to talk about. We'll look at the experiments around these. And with that, I will turn it over to Boris Grinko. Thanks, Hunter. So let's talk about this first misconception uh, about landing pages being these completely separate pages from your website, uh, not necessarily very pretty, uh, and that have really just a singular objective 
disconnected from uh, perhaps your home page objectives and so on. What is a landing page in the first place? Well, we define a landing page very broadly. Uh, we don't want to really peg it down to a particular type of design, to a particular uh, location in your site or in your, uh, let's say, uh, site flow. Uh, we want to define it simply as, uh, as we have it here on the slide, just a page that receives your visitor traffic from outside of your website. That is as simple as we go with this definition. It's simply a page that gets your visitors from outside of the site. Uh, what we do, uh, however, as marketers, uh, we'd like to define this even a little bit more specifically. So this is kind of our ideal landing page definition from the optimization point of view. It's really a page that receives visitor traffic from a very narrowly defined channel. So we want to know who these customers are. Did they come from a particular advertising banner? Did they come from a particular website that references this landing page? Uh, did they come from, for example, a, an infomercial on TV that references a specific URL? And we want to ideally have a landing page where visitors arrive from a very that were from a single call to action, so we really know what it was in the first place that motivated them to land on this page. So there are two, two things we can draw from this definition. One, very straightforward, uh, the landing page is really not defined by the type of, again, the type of copy, uh, its layout, uh, its design, uh, how it fits into a website, and so on. It could be even part of a microsite. Uh, it could be built well a page that's integrated into your primary site. It could just be your home page, really. We can treat it as a landing page as well. And it would be incorrect to say that a home page is not a landing page. It is a landing page for, for uh, customers, for example, that simply type in your primary URL. Second conclusion we can draw is that, um, uh, or rather second corollary that we can, we can determine here, is that a landing page is just uh, your first and usually best opportunity to start speaking to your customer. We talk about, um, you know, people don't buy from websites, people buy from people. So our first step in optimization is to figure out how exactly can we com communicate with our visitor. And a landing page is your first opportunity to do so. So what we're going to look at is uh, an experiment, a case study that illustrates this, and I'm going to ask Adam Lapp to talk about this case study as it's an experiment that he actually personally ran. Sure. So, so this is an experiment we ran for a consumer credit counseling service that offered a free debt consultation. And the goal here was just to get as many sign-ups as possible without uh, additional traffic. So our question was, which pop-up will generate the highest completion rate? And to uh, tackle this question, we ran an ABC split test. And you'll see here that um, all three pop-ups went to the same order path. And what we did is we used the same home page, uh, no changes whatsoever. And instead of um, you know changing the headline or you know some of the intro copy on the home page to welcome the visitor, um, we used the approach of a welcome pop-up that uh, you know blocked out the rest of the site and focused the visitor on the welcome message. And you'll see here, um, the control was a version with a blue background that says, you know, we can help you, we can help lower your payments by up to 50%. It asks for the typical lead generation um, content, such as a name, email, um, and then a couple additional fields that were particular to this industry, such as state and uh, secure, unsecured debt. Treatment two is almost an exact, exact 
replica of the control. Our Trigma 1 was, is almost an exact replica of the control, uh, but we tested the background color. We wanted to test the idea that uh, you know, blue font or black font on a white background is easier to read uh, for Internet users. And then treatment two um, is uh, very similar to the control, but we used a larger headline that is more direct and appeals more to uh, the visitor's motivation in terms of lower your payments by up to 50%. Um, instead of we can lower uh, your payments, we wanted to say you can lower your payments by up to 50%. And so which pop-up generated the highest form completion rate? Right now, if, uh, if you're seeing all three versions together, we're going to uh, play kind of a game, you know, which one of these won. Uh, control, treatment one, treatment two. If you want to use the Q&A feature and go to webinar, we'll just kind of uh, look at some of these responses. Uh, two, two, treatment one, treatment one wins. A lot of twos, a lot of ones. Nobody's really voting for the control. That's interesting. Sounds like many of you have been on here before. Uh, a lot of people are swaying towards treatment two, but then treatment one is getting some good votes as well. I'd probably say just looking unscientifically, uh, the treatment two is leading by a lot of people. Why do you think that is as we, uh, as we get ready to turn this over and look at the final results? Those of you who voted for treatment two, uh, why do you think it won? Those of you who picked treatment one, why do you think that might have won? Some of the people who are saying treatment two, it appeals to you, the large, succinct, and big headline, call to action, the more direct headline. Uh-huh. Okay, simpler headline. So a lot of people are very focused on the headline there. Adam, you want to turn it over and let's see who the uh, let's see which test treatment won and got the highest form completion rate. Sure. So it looks like we we definitely have uh, a pretty intelligent audience here. Treatment B with uh, the more direct, the more easy to read headline uh, was the winner, and it beat the control by 16% relative difference. Um, also, interesting note, uh, treatment A, which the only difference was the color, um, had a marginal difference over the control. Um, this difference wasn't able to validate, but uh, it, it was an interesting fact that we, uh, we actually you know, tested um, that later in future tests. Um, I did want to make a side note here uh, that uh, this partner, we've ran you know, numerous, numerous tests with them, and uh, the, the test previous to this uh, was the, the first test in which we run, ran a entrance pop-up. So we ran an entrance pop-up versus just the home page by itself. And that was the test where we received uh, the biggest gain, which was a 63% uh, gain. So this is really a follow-up test that just further compounded uh, the impact there. And this is really important to understand, I think, sometimes uh, we have a lot of great results, like the one that Adam just mentioned, but uh, they're usually arrived at with our research partners over time as we perform success, succeeding uh, tests one after another. Adam, this research partner has been with us, what, for about two years now? That's correct. So there's been a lot of testing that we've done with them, and this is just one example that was um, very useful for this particular uh, clinic. But let's move uh, forward, actually, another interesting note uh, with this uh, research partner just to, again, illustrate how our optimization principles don't just necessarily apply to landing pages. It's just such a cliché term now that um, sometimes people don't realize that you can apply them elsewhere. You can see the same exact form 
that we have in that, in that uh, pop-up, also on the home page, which is part of the course site, and also on a standalone landing page, it's in a separate URL. And obviously, we can uh, use the same kind of methodology to test those pages as well. Uh, importantly, you don't want to necessarily uh, transfer what you learned from, let's say, that pop-up test directly to these pages. So you will still want to retest and see how, let's say, a different headline would work uh, on the home page, how that different headline would work on the, on the separate landing page. But the fundamental principles of optimization, the fundamental methodology, and the conversion sequence heuristic can be used throughout. So what is, what is our key takeaway here? We looked at different, different applications, or just one application with uh, this particular research partner, and our fundamental um, conclusion is that a landing page is just really any uh, page where you can start the conversation with your visitor for the first time. That is your best opportunity to start that conversation, and uh, it is not necessarily a page that is sitting outside of your site. It's not necessarily a page that's sitting in a separate URL. It is really just the opportunity to start that conversation. I just want to add on to that. If we go back one slide there, you made a very good point, Boris, and I just want to reemphasize that when you look at these two, sometimes it's down in the caption, it might get overlooked. If you notice the home page on the left and notice the, the landing page on the right, and really what we're trying to do with this clinic is, is help you to notice that what you find on some pages, whether it's standalone landing pages, whether it's a home page, whether it's a product category page, or whether it's a pop-up, they all kind of, uh, you know, when you're talking about transactions, visitor motivation, getting them to take action, this is where the principles of the conversion sequence really come into play. And so when we look at these different types of experiments that we've done, you'll be able to see how you can apply these different principles to other areas of your site. So just wanted to make sure that that point was underscored. And, Boris, I'm going to let you pick up and grab misconception number two. So misconception number two, uh, the idea that the optimization principles that we uh, we, we tested and uh, we teach in our courses and so on, these principles are really only meant for landing page optimization in this uh, very strict definition of uh, the place where we start the conversation with our customer. Um, when we think about this definition of um, where the optimization principles apply, let's look back at our conversion sequence heuristic. What is this conversion sequence heuristic in the first place? Those of you who have been on our, on our webinars in the past, who have taken our courses, of course know that this is a way just to organize elements, on, uh, organize how we think about the different elements on the web page or in a process, you know, in any kind of offer response mechanism uh, as far as how they relate to the probability of conversion. But um, how do we define conversion in the first place? That is an, an important question. Actually, that's one also that comes up often in our, um, in our courses. What is so important about conversion? How do you define it? Uh, we hear about other metrics like click-through rate, email capture rate, uh, open rate on email messages, uh, click-through rate on uh, PPC ads, and so on. So uh, naturally, the question comes up, if your, our heuristic is focused on conversion, how can we apply it to other uh, communication vehicles? Right uh, before we move on, Boris, I just want to say for people who are new to our clinic who haven't really uh, been on our clinics before, the conversion sequence that you're seeing here, the formula uh, C equals 4M plus 3V plus 2I minus F minus 2A, uh, the reason that we kind of breeze over this kind of quickly is because we've covered it in uh, a lot of our previous experiments and our previous clinics, 
We do a very in-depth job of training people in our workshops and in our online courses and how to use it. So it takes a little more time than we can get through on our one-hour webinars. So if you are new and this is kind of uh, Greek to you, there are other places to find more details on it, including our site, our other clinics, uh, and the workshops. So we don't spend a lot of time breaking this down. But if you have any questions about it or, if, uh, you know, you want to learn more about it, let us know with the survey and, and look in those other places. And, you know, some of these concepts will probably become more clear as we go on. So just wanted to point that out. And Boris, please continue. Uh, here's how we define conversion. This is a very broad definition. It's intentionally broad because we want to be able to capture um, a lot of different interactions with our visitors, a lot, a lot of different kinds of off-response mechanism examples. So we define it as a performance of a very specific desired action by the target user. This action, of course, needs to be measurable and, and uh, very specific. How do we measure conversion? Again, we're going to give you a very broad definition so that we can really span a wide range of interactions. It's simply uh, the rate that's determined by dividing the number of completed actions, those desired actions that we've defined initially, by the number of attempts of opportunity. So you know uh, numerous examples. It could be card conversion. It could be conversion to email capture, click through on an ad, and so on. It's important to understand that all these different definitions of conversion rate are also driven by business needs uh, and how you define your KPIs for your company. So sometimes uh, card conversion can be a very important metric for one business, but for other businesses um, it may not be as meaningful. So you may want to look at overall conversion, for example, with, where you would not divide sales by the card started, but divide the number of sales by the total number of visitors to the site. So what does this all mean? Uh, in dispelling that uh, second misconception, well, conversion doesn't have to be necessarily a conversion to sale. It could be anything like a click on a banner ad, opening of an email message, completion of step three out of five in a, in a sign-up process, for example. What's important is that it's a measurable action, and we can treat it as a conversion for the purpose of applying the conversion sequence we reviewed uh, a minute ago. Second corollary is that the conversion sequence can apply to really any kind of offer response uh, mechanism, where, whether it's a process, whether it's a page, uh, as long as we can define a conversion action, a specific action with the user to take. Again, it could be something as simple as sometimes the user viewing a brochure for a product. So it's not even necessarily uh, that any kind of information is being exchanged, that the user is not providing payment, not providing uh, contact information, anything like that. All you're doing is you're measuring how likely they are to perform a particular action. So let's take a look at an experiment that uh, Adam ran um, in the past and uh, to demonstrate this principle. Right before we, we go to that next case study, uh, I just want to take a quick check with the audience. Are you, um, are you doing okay with the pacing? Is this making sense? Are you uh, having any questions so far? If not, uh, let us know. If so, please let us know. The Q&A, great. A lot of good response. Good, good pacing. Fantastic. All right, great. Thank you. Adam, go right ahead, please. Let's talk about the case study. Sure. And this next case study uh, was for a research partner that um, had an online site for educational resources for health and fitness. And so we went from the idea that um, the optimization sequence goes beyond landing pages. So we started with the pop-up, 
And now we're going to even a further extreme to the shopping cart and or the payment path. And so our goal in this experiment was just to increase the number of member signups. And the optimization sequence was applied to that payment path. Not to landing page, but to um, the, the subsequent path that people had to follow in order to enter uh, their credit card information. So you'll see from this diagram that the landing pages are exactly the same. And the only differences were made on the order path itself. And it's just interesting to note that uh, before we did this test, we did run uh, a test with the landing page. Uh, we ran, I think we ran multiple tests, uh, found the, the best possible winner, and then moved on to apply the conversion net index to the order path and to see if we could get an improvement there. And as you can see from the uh, control order path, um, any uh, experienced online marketers on the phone line can, uh, can probably see that there was uh, a lot of opportunity here um, <laughs> uh, just to simply join a health and fitness membership site uh, there was, you know, seven steps, uh, including the landing page. You had a, a shopping cart page. You had a um, customer login or create a new account page. You had, you know, your payment, your address. You had confirmed payment and, and so forth. So uh, a lot of friction and a lot of difficulties associated with it. Now, the treatment order path, uh, you, as you can see right away, the key difference is uh, we reduced the number of steps. I think uh, we cut it in half pretty much. And uh, along with that, um, we, on the first step, captured the most important information first, which is that credit card payment. We want to get the payment first, and then on the second step, capture, you know, address, uh, phone number, et cetera. Um, so even if they abandoned on the second step, we were still able to capture that payment information um, and make them a member um, by completing the first step. Um, also, interesting note here, which was a major strategic shift in the way these two paths differed, was the first, first path was um, framed as a shopping cart checkout. This path was framed more like an activation process. Adam, one quick question that came in, uh, and it's a pretty good one from uh, Robert. Thank you, Robert. Uh, what information was sacrificed in changing uh, the path from those many steps to some of those fewer steps? You know, I really don't think it's that much. Um, there may be a few confirm email, confirm um, username fields that we removed, but uh, I think, you know, if you look at the original path, Really, there were a lot of shopping cart. There was a shopping cart page that we removed altogether. There was a confirm. Uh, if you look at number six, there was confirm order page that we removed altogether. Uh, number five, there the credit card we just merged with, um, you know, the the, the name and um, you know the name and email page. So combining pages, removing unnecessary pages, rather than really removing um, fields. When we talk about friction within the conversion sequence heuristic, uh, we look at it in terms of uh, often two different dimensions. One is length, and the other one is difficulty. And in this case, um, as in many other cases, sometimes keeping the length of the form, that, that is the number of fields, essentially the same, we can reduce difficulty of navigating through the form simply by rearranging how it's laid out. So in this case, 
we probably could have gotten an improvement even without um, eliminating any field, but just by combining the form into a smaller number of steps so it wouldn't feel as difficult to get through. Sure. So, so yeah, just looking at, um, you know, this will probably specifically, you know, address uh, that question, which um, if you look at the last field on this uh, first page, uh, we added the credit card to the same page that we captured email and name. So, like Boris said, just combining steps. Also, a couple a couple other things that we did to help improve conversion rate, um, which would be, you know, things that you would normally see on a landing page but applied to a shopping cart is a money-back guarantee and also just removing distracting links from, you know, the top navigation or the bottom navigation. You know, that's something you'll typically see on the landing page, removing all exit links. But it's something you can also do with a uh, shopping cart. So we were going to ask you guys to uh, to guess which one was going to win. I think that's uh, uh, pretty pretty much a no-brainer. If you want to use the Q and A and pick a winner here, by all means, we won't stop you. Uh, we'll just test. You know, yeah, that's good. Uh, second one, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, just as Adam pointed out here, a lot of a lot of the changes, and you can see these side by side, although you can't see them all directly. Uh, a large part of it is really consolidation, yeah. more so than removing information, and for the most part, getting that same information just through different steps and different processes in the order path itself, with even the landing page being the same on the front end, led to the results that we're going to see now. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, we, the conversion rate without changing the landing page at all, just consolidating steps and moving the credit card payment from step six to step one, um, we were able to get a 69% relative lift um, between the treatment and the control. Um, so, you know, anybody who has a long shopping cart process out there, you know, this is something you can definitely do uh, to, to get a lift. And, you know, this is a pretty big lift. Uh, I think it looks like around four percentage points, but anybody in the e-commerce industry, even just, you know, half a percentage point could be a huge increase in your, your bottom line at the end of the year. So just to quickly wrap up on the, uh, the two points that we've tried to make in this presentation so far, really trying to dispel the two key misconceptions we hear from, from our students in our courses. We see them posted uh, on our LinkedIn, uh, on our blog, and so on. Uh, that is the first being, what is a landing page? Is it something that's completely separate from the website? Well, I, hopefully we communicated that it's, a landing page is simply the starting point of conversation with your customer. And the second misconception about that, and probably a more important one for us, especially as uh, optimization professionals, is this idea that optimization principles only apply to landing pages. And uh, hopefully we've demonstrated just even through a small number of examples that those principles that really apply across the board, and we'll have a couple of more examples for you in this clinic. We'll also invite you to take a look at uh, Marketing Experiment Journal at marketingexperiments.com for just a large number of uh, all kinds of case studies that really show how the uh, conversion sequence heuristic can be applied in a number of different examples. Right before we move on, I just want to let everyone know that there are some good Q&A coming in here. Please keep them coming. We are uh, going to try and get to a few of them at the end here if we can, and even if we don't get to all of them, we are going to try and post 
some of the Q&A later on our blog and on our LinkedIn group, as Boris mentioned. Uh, we do try and get to them all or as many as possible. Uh, so if you do have questions, please uh, continue using the Q&A feature and go to webinar, and we'll try to get some of these answers out to you. At, uh, at this point, as Boris mentioned, we are going to shift for a second here from some of our own case studies and experiments to examples that we've seen. A lot of, a lot of times we uh, hear from our audience and our course participants, we'd like to see examples of either sites or pages or you know, emails, whatever, uh, that we think do a pretty good job. They may not be 100% perfect, but in some cases uh, we find some sites that have a lot of these different conversion sequence principles either baked into what they're doing or uh, they just kind of align with a lot of the things that we talk about. So we're going to show you some examples that point out uh, maybe what isn't working and what could be fixed with uh, comparison to examples of pages and, and other uh, factors that do, say, uh, do use some of the same conversion sequence principles. So let's shift gears from the uh, experiments and go look at some of those with Boris and Adam. And uh, this will be kind of like our live optimization in a way for those of you who've been with us before. So the first one that we're going to look at, Boris, I think is uh, Zappos page, right? So we're going to take a look at uh, two different uh, examples of how ocean-minded ocean scorpion flip-flops are being sold. So this is one example from Zappos. Uh, let's take a look. So what, what do we see here first? I think just at a glance you can see there's a lot of things here on this page you're just screaming at the visitor. There's a lot of things going on. I know that probably the primary product on this page is uh, in the upper left, roughly, on the page. But at the same time, you have other competing products. We have other banners. Uh, the Life Help is there, which could be useful. But again, it's competing with the primary objective of the page. There's a link to Ocean Minded. I'm, I'm guessing that's probably a link to the uh, uh, brand's um, uh, page on the site. And there's other calls to action. At the same time, even though there's this numerous um, opportunity to go to navigate away from this page, there's really no clearly defined path to the order. So there's a lot of things you can do at the same time uh, we talk about unsupervised thinking, that is uh, allowing the visitor to the page just to figure out intent for themselves uh, and figuring out what it is they need to do next. What we look for usually on pages is a way to demonstrate to the visitor exactly what the next step could be in order to complete that desired action that we defined as the conversion objective. So in this case, uh, there's just too, much thing, too many things competing for the visitor's attention on this page. Sure. Yeah, and there's, as Boris said, there's a lot of friction as far as, you know, competing images, competing, you know, places to click. I uh, just want to point out a couple issues also for anxiety. Another uh, key point on the conversion index, you'll see from the bottom left-hand corner of the page, a very important feature for online shoppers is, you know, the customer ratings. You know, how have other, how has other customers, um, you know, received this product? You know, do they like it? Um, and people just want to read those other customer ratings. And it's on the bottom left, out of the iPad, nowhere near the button, nowhere near where um, any uh, typical Internet user is going to uh, see those ratings. So that's hidden. Also, the free shipping, um, we see they've tried to highlight it in red, uh, but still it's not emphasized by location. Um, we would recommend that it be you know, above the button definitely, you know, possibly even in the headline near some of those uh, uh, actions that a customer has to make. 
let's take a look at uh, the way shoes.com is selling the same exact product. We really like this page. You can see that it's only two columns, and really the left column is dedicated to one thing, just product display, and it's very straightforward. It's in a very traditional format now that visitors are very accustomed to, so you have the primary image, and you have a couple of other thumbnails to display the other uh, views of the same product. So it's really, we know it's one thing, it's to display the product in the left column. The right column is dedicated to that conversation with the customer we talked about. It starts with saying what the product is, the most important thing about it on the shopping side, of course, would be the price, and then very clearly laying out what steps one, two, and three are to uh, obtaining this product. Now, of course, for customers who want to learn more, there's continuing body copy that explains a little bit more about this product, and the ratings follow that also pretty straightforward, as Adam said previously, that's something that customers are uh, looking for, and so we want to put it in their primary iPath, and it's uh, also here on the page. And one thing that this page could do better, but definitely does do better than the previous page, is emphasizing discounts and emphasizing free shipping. It's you know it's located up in that top pink banner, um, which you know it's you know something that could get banner blindness and something we would definitely test here at Marketing Experiments, but. Um, it definitely is emphasized by shape, color, and location. Um, so it probably comes across um, a, a lot more impactful than the previous page. Nice. And I think Adam is wearing the uh, ocean mine and then scorpions, right? Uh, rainbows. Close enough. Um, so let's take a look at uh, another example. I uh, just want to uh, throw one or two questions out here while we're getting them from the audience about some of these pages. Uh, one that was pretty good from Tom. Uh, hey, Tom, thanks for the question. Uh, what about breadcrumbs? Should they be included or not? It's a question that we've heard before. I think I have an answer in my mind, but I, I want to hear what you guys think about uh, on, on shopping cart sites and generally on sites where uh, for whatever reason you got the person to navigate deeper down, you want to provide them with an opportunity to shop around. So in this case, this is a product page. Unless the visitor arrived here from, again, a very specific channel, if this were a standalone landing page, we probably would not want to have breadcrumbs if the person arrived through this page specifically for the purpose of buying ocean-minded men's scorpion flip-flops. If that were the case, we do not want to provide any other links the single objective of this page should be to complete this purchase because we know that it's exactly what the visitor came for. However, this is a visitor that's just browsing through a site. You want to make it as easy as possible to be able to do that. Yeah, and I, I think that is uh, in sync with, um, you know, our, our typical landing page questions that we want to ask. Uh, the three questions we always want to ask are, where am I, what can I do here, and why should I do it? And if you're on this page and you're window shopping and you're na you've navigated through, you know, five, six, eight different other pages to get here, um, that breadcrumb can definitely answer that question of where am I and just clearly position the visitor um, and make it more comfortable shopping experience for them. Great. Another question here about, uh, well, this is kind of interesting. Uh, how would this apply to, or is for booking, or, or something less shopping cart driven? What do you think of that? Uh, I'd like to understand a little bit more with the, how they're contrasting it to a shopping cart, as in a single product as opposed to a cat large catalog of products. Okay. Well, while we're waiting for that, a couple, yes. a couple of people are asking about breadcrumbs. Um, breadcrumbs, if you uh, are familiar with, the text link uh, that usually goes in a horizontal fashion under kind of a main nav bar that will show you uh, either a home page, 
then drilling down to a section page or category page. These also come up when you apply filters with a search, like on Zappos or some other sites, uh, and they allow you to link back and forth through the different kind of layers of a site. They're a lot more common on e-commerce uh, than many other sites, so those are what the breadcrumbs are for those of you who are asked about that one. If, um, if you guys want to move on, we can move on and take a look at some of the PPC ad examples. All right, so let's take a look at these, uh, these examples of text ads. And really going to focus on the value proposition here. By the way, when we, uh, PPC text ads are really great ways for you to test your value proposition, even for your landing pages. We do this all the time by basically putting out a number of different ways of expressing your value proposition through, in particular, the headline and also the body copy of these ads and seeing which one resonates with different kinds of customers and measuring the results. But in this case, let's just look at the effectiveness of these uh, PPC ads. And again, in this case, uh, let's lean back to the conversion heuristic. Uh, we think of the click-through, uh, click on this ad as the target conversion action, right, in this case. So let's look at the first two ads. Basically, Microsoft is saying um, that you can save more and do more. And Intel is saying um, it says a little bit about performance, but not really anything specific, and it's, uh, the goal of the clicking on this uh, ad seems to be just to learn more. So neither one of these two ads is really communicating any value. If I'm shopping for, I guess, uh, dedicated posting here, it's, uh, I'm not learning anything from these ads. And uh, as a sophisticated consumer, I'm going to look for something that really tells me what I'm going to get by clicking on this ad. Sometimes you really have to think in terms of very simple physical action, right? You're asking the person to perform a click to move their mouse over the ad and click on it. There's just not enough reason in the first two ads for me to perform that action. So look at the second uh, pair of ads. It's the exact opposite. So Postway, Enterprise, and Dell are being a lot more specific about what they're offering me. By looking at the ad, I can immediately at least make, start making a decision, start making the buying decision in terms of comparing these different offers. I already know from Postway's ad pretty much quite a bit about the, uh, the offer that they, that they have for me. I have not as much in the Dell ad, but at least I know the kinds of servers they're offering. Sure, and just going back to the first ad, I mean, if you look at Microsoft Advantage, I mean, what is Advantage, what is virtualization, and really the only value proposition in here is the brand of Microsoft. You're not telling me anything about the product, any reason why I should buy it. Um, you know, this ad will get clicks just because it's Microsoft, and it will get clicks from your most highly motivated customers, you know, people who have already researched Microsoft for virtualization. You know, people who have already, you know, read the customer ratings, seen the price, they're going to click on it. But for the, the people who are just browsing right now, you know, they're going to need a little bit more convincing, a little bit clearer uh, communication of that value proposition than uh, Microsoft is currently doing. Yeah, Adam picked up an important point here uh, about motivation. We weigh motivation most highly in the conversion sequence. It has a weight of four um, because the motivation of the user can really drive that uh, purchase decision really can sometimes override a weak value proposition, high friction, high anxiety, and lack of an incentive. And this is a great example of that. Microsoft is really writing its brand name here, and probably they're paying for a click they would have gotten for free anyway. I want to add a, a couple things, and those are all great points. Uh, one question that came in, do you actually know the click-through rate of each of these four ads, or are you just guessing which is better? Now, that's a great question. 
as I mentioned when we shifted to this section here, these are examples that we've seen. So we don't know which ones of these necessarily outperform the other ones. And certainly there's a lot of variation with PPC ads based on your keywords, your negative keywords, your time of day. There are hundreds of ways to slice and dice these with your tests. What we're trying to point out with this section without having specific results here is how you can see examples of what we think have been, uh, you know, have been applying principles similar to the conversion sequence, and these are meant to represent test ideas that you could consider. Now, I want to point out something else here, uh, especially when we're on the PPC ad section. In a, a couple of previous clinics, we've used PPC ads uh, as a way to kind of illustrate uh, how you might micro-test your value proposition. And thinking back to the conversion sequence and how important uh, the letter V is, which is extremely important, right behind motivation, is probably the most important. What you can do with your PPC ad test is incredibly valuable because you can take this very short amount of space and very short character limit and use that to try these different types of, uh, you know, these different types of copy where you see the two above the line that work, you know, in a, uh, in a fashion where it's more broad, it's more generic, and you see the bottom ones that do a little more with specifics and things like that, you can kind of use your PPC ads to test that value proposition and apply what you get back from some of those tests to other landing pages, to email copy, to homepage copy. So it's very valuable to think about some of these different, uh, some of these different PPC ads and, and the style of copy that you see there and the way that those either do uh, the things that the above ones do or they talk about the specificity and, and clarity of the offer in the second one, and that's something that you can use beyond PPC ads and use for your own testing. But the point being that while these are examples and we don't have the necessary uh, or the uh, numbers necessarily for these, these are, uh, these are examples that you can look at for ideas, and it all comes down to testing, so that's really what it comes down to. Let's move on. Uh, these are actually two, I'm uh, going to take a look at two email messages I received in my email box in the last week or two. Um, so uh, there are two different weekly special offers for, from two different airlines, and I'm sure a lot of you get these all the time. So I wanted to just take a look at them as a good live example. Um, What's, uh, let's actually, uh, since pretty much all of you probably get these in your email boxes, let's take, use your Q&A feature to uh, uh, analyze this email that, uh, again, you probably have seen yourself many times for, from NWA or other airlines. What would you uh, say they're doing right or doing wrong in this email? And uh, let's see, do we have anything coming in yet? What they do right? Well, someone said, uh, wow, subject line from hell. So that's probably <laughs> not a good, uh, let's see, boring, nothing right, too many words, oh my god, so much copy, subject line is too long, too much text, way too busy, way too busy, eyes glaze over. <laughs> Why am I reading this email? Uh-huh. Well, yeah. this, this basically summarizes a lot of the uh, feelings that I had when I open it in, in uh, my Outlook. So we see here, first of all, the subject line is really extremely long and really loses the person's attention. Now, the best fair guarantee is really the only expression of value in there. And uh, although any sophisticated con consumer would know that best fair guarantees are 
unlikely to be redeemable. Basically, it's a promise that um, uh, online vendors make that they know nobody's going to ever uh, take them up on. It's just kind of like coupons that have a very low redemption rate. Um, so that, that likely does not communicate any value. And keep in mind that when we look at email optimization, there are really two different things that we look to optimize. There are two different target actions that we talked before, two different kinds of definitions of conversion. One is uh, the, the click to open the email. So especially if you're using Outlook, especially if you don't have a preview pane turned on, uh, all you see is the headline. Uh, I'm sorry, the subject line. So our first goal is to use the subject line to get the person to click on it and open the email message. That's step one. This subject line here likely does not, as, as many of you pointed out, really tell me, give me any good reason to, to keep on reading unless I am highly motivated. And as Adam mentioned before, high motivation can really override a weak value proposition. But if I'm not specifically looking to buy travel from NWA, the subject line is not really going to get me to click. Now, once some people do click, uh, what do they find in this page? As a lot of you pointed out, there's just a ton of copy. And uh, one good thing, positive thing in terms of just strictly analysis of this page is the first thing that this email talks about is the best fare guarantee. So those people who did, uh, who were interested in best fare guarantee because they read the subject line, the first thing they will see in this email is this explanation of the best fare guarantee. So for those customers, this email may actually work really well. The only negative to that is once they go through and read it, there's really no specific call to action. The call to action is to, look, to read about more details. It really doesn't lead to any kind of shopping experience. So even though this email might do well for that small group of people, it still doesn't get them to really buy anything. It's difficult to measure the effectiveness of this email in accomplishing the objective. I just want to throw in, uh, we got one uh, Q&A from Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. It says, lots of links in body copy, though, which has been effective for me as, a, as an NWA customer. So with that in mind, you know, being uh, the text links and being the copy and, and how it might be effective for, you know, uh, some people, you know, what we're really trying to point out here is not that it's going to be completely, uh, you know, completely unuseful or invaluable to most people, but that as far as testing goes, you really want to find your ideal customer and use some of these ideas to try and shape your email or, or you know, your approach to find out which one works best. Right. And absolutely, we, of course, segmentation and targeting is not part of this clinic. It's a whole separate, very large subject where there's probably uh, a specific segment that for whom these emails work extremely well. And, of course, your goal as a marketer would be to identify that segment and send them messages that look exactly like this, whereas what we're looking at is probably the majority of the population for whom these email messages may not work as well. Yeah, and just to add, uh, for, for emails, there's really two main schools of thought. There's the short email, peak interest, get the click, then sell on the landing page. Or emails like this where... You, you know, you really try to sell on this page, try to inform the user as much as you can, and just make the job easier once they get to the site. Um, now, this page may do very well for NWA, um, but one thing that they could probably do better that uh, a lot of you out in the audience could do better is if you do have a long copy email, um, just make sure you kind of combine that first strategy uh, to the beginning of this email. So, you know, for people who don't, do want to read the entire email, they can do that. But also for people who do, do want to quick, click very quickly, you allow them to uh, do that at the very top of the email. Let's take a look now at a second example. By the way, uh, 
realizing, kind of uh, late in the process, that Delta did acquire NWA, so there was a Delta logo on the previous Netflix too, but I'm sure it's still two different marketing departments, so we can really treat them as two different um, ways of thinking about email. So what we really liked about this email message, actually, you know what, let's, let's pause, let's get some more audience interaction here as well. Uh, let, let's get your opinions on, uh, on this email here. I know it's already showing some of our analysis, <laughs> but I'm curious to get some other ideas as well. This is just, uh, we, we put on this slide just a couple of ideas. There's, of course, a lot more that could be said. Mm -hmm. and, and by way of comparison there, having seen the, the NWA version for a little bit and knowing that this version, albeit a different but regular uh, partner airline, is, is really going for a similar approach, which one you think might stand out more for you, which one might get your attention more and and, you know, possibly get you to take action, which is what both of them intend to do. All right, great. Single column, where button color, button color, gets right to the point. Cleaner, easier to read. Maybe that's why Delta bought NWA <laughs> and not vice versa. Very good, Scott. Uh, one column, easy to read, focus. A lot of people are saying easy to read, simple, straightforward, uh, very clean, very clean. Uh, and this goes right to what we talked about with iPad, certainly. So um, I will read the Delta email, dump the Northwest. <laughs> um, so this is a great example when we talked about before in this how we apply our optimization principles outside of landing pages. We talk about landing pages as places where a conversation with a visitor starts, and the same thing applies to email, email messages. Your conversation with the customer here starts with a subject line, very specifically says what this email is about. So. Uh, for those people who are looking for to buy airfare, this is a perfect email, and uh, it starts with a subject line. When you open the email, the first thing it confirms is that it's exactly what you were looking for. You click on the subject line that says weekly fare specials, and this email headline is weekly fare specials. There's no confusion whatsoever. As Adam was mentioning earlier, for those who are ready to buy right now, there's a button towards the very top that says see all fare specials. So you can start shopping right now if you're a highly qualified customer you can jump right into a page that will have multiple specials. For those who are still ready to read, they're not as, as quick to jump into the shopping cart. Well, there's an introductory paragraph, and there's a couple of examples of uh, fair specials that I can see immediately. And this is a great way to express your value proposition. Uh, when we looked at those PPC ads, part, one of our criticisms was that the ones that we felt were just relying on their brand did not really say anything specific. They weren't quantifying their offer. Uh, and perhaps it made sense for them in some in some ways because the offer is highly complex. In this case, the offer can really be summarized in a dollar figure. The, uh, the fare specials uh, can be assigned a dollar value, and that's exactly what this email is communicating. And it's very straightforward, top-down, single-column format that has a very direct and specific call to action for each one of those offers. Uh, what's interesting here, uh, they probably could have done a slightly better job of... Um, providing sample offers to me because if uh, they knew, actually they do, that I live in Jacksonville Beach, Florida, they probably wouldn't expect me to drive to Orlando so they could fly over to Tallahassee. Uh, but other than that, uh, this is an excellent way to try to customize the email to the travel that I've done in the past. And, and as Boris said uh, just a little uh, second ago, they uh, clearly quantify how much the fare is. If you paid attention to the previous email, all they say is save up to X amount. But what does that mean? Is the original ticket price $1,000 and now it's $900? Um, I have no idea. Whereas this one specifically tells me it's 
$59, and I have no questions. It's not ambiguous, and if I am ready to click on that price, um, I'm going to. Great, thank you. And uh, just one other thing I thought was useful to point out here, because of looking through some of these different Q&A, uh, we have people who are suggesting, uh, I think like Tim mentioned, subject line should have a verb, maybe an action, call to action, uh, like check out Delta Weekly Fair Specials. Uh, and, you know, on the flip side, Chris Ann says nice short subject line. So what really uh, it all comes back to here is the purpose of testing to try and get these different factors and try and figure out which one works best. For all the people who have suggested that the nice, short, clean subject line, Delta Weekly Fair specials, even though it's more informative, it doesn't have that direct call to action, might be better. Uh, we did a, a clinic a while back on email subject lines and uh, calls to action. We'll probably do another one of those in the, uh, in the upcoming months, I suppose. But uh, again, you can see the same thing here that has gone, the same thread that has gone through the PPC ads uh, and the other pages that we've looked at there. The importance of really trying to find these different factors and these principles and then test them. Because what's going to, what you're going to find is that while we talk about these principles and how we've applied them, I mean, these are based on a lot of research, years of research, tests and experiments that we've done, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to be, uh, you know, a, a straightforward silver bullet answer. You know, the, the long copy versus short copy is a great example of where we had done experiments for years and then later changed because of changes in uh, various, uh, various factors in the test. You know, the audience who is seeing it, the type of offer. So there are a lot of different factors that you need to account for. Some of those questions about trying to do it just this way or that way, it's definitely not as black and white for some of those. And what we've seen here is another, uh, you know, another facet of that, that the principles here uh, and landing pages themselves uh, aren't really as easy to kind of categorize or, or maybe pigeonhole. And as Boris and Adam outlined, any specific place that, travel, uh, that traffic is arriving on your site can be considered a landing page. Don't limit these optimization principles just to the idea of landing pages. You can see how they can apply elsewhere. We've looked at PPC ads, email, shopping cart pages. We've looked at order pads. So we're really trying to, to look at how these principles and how these ideas, friction, uh, incentive, anxiety, and uh, keying your offer to your prospect's motivation really applies across the board to all of these different areas of, of your online marketing and your marketing communications. <clears throat> so with that in mind, we are just about out of time. I want to make sure that uh, everyone here knows we have a survey that pops up when you log out of GoToWebinar. We would greatly appreciate it if you would just take a few seconds to fill out uh, some of those questions. There are only about five or six, I think. Uh, let us know. We keep using that feedback to make our clinics better. Again, we will try and have some of these uh, Q&A posted in our blog and our LinkedIn group over the next couple of days. If you want to learn more about applying this conversion sequence and how you can learn to run these same kind of experiments, use these same formulas, uh, you're welcome to learn more about our live uh, workshops and our online training courses and, of course, our research partnerships. If you are interested in finding out how we can work with your organization on these kinds of experiments and this type of optimization, 
by all means, please contact us through our website or through the survey after the clinic when you log out. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We have a very special clinic coming up for e-commerce. I hope you'll join us, and I hope that if you are in the San Francisco or Boston areas, that we'll get to meet you at our live optimization workshops as part of the Marketing Sherpa B2B Summits, San Francisco, September 25th, and Boston, October 5th. If you are attending, please let us know. We would love to meet some of you in person. Thanks again, everybody, for contributing your Q&A and especially to Boris and Adam and the research team here for a great clinic. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you in a couple weeks, and we appreciate your feedback.